So uh, I noticed that you have been posting some images from, it looks like you've modified a Holga to take, instead of a square image, uh, a two to one rectangular image. And I'm trying to remember exactly how you're doing that. Are you getting double the number of frames? Uh, yeah. Or are you just, so you're flipping it over, you're flipping a mask over so you can run the film one way and then the other way, or how's that work? No, 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 no. Um, uh, it comes down to one of the great things about a Holga is it has those little clicks. Oh, um, I see. So they're vertical. It keeps the film from rolling. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, it is a vertical mass, so you you have to turn the camera 90 degrees sideways. Um, but it's a square finder, so it, it doesn't really – it's not a big problem. You just have to remember that, um, you know, to do it. Uh, but then those clicks – are I, I figured I, I played around with these enough. Uh, those clicks advance about two millimeters per click. Mm -hmm. So um, if, like for instance, I have uh, masks that are eight millimeters wide, and I've masks that are four millimeters wide. So a four millimeter wide mask is a two click, mm -hmm. and the eight millimeter is a four click. But then you can make choices in those, those really narrow masks. You can make choices, how much do I want to overlap? So if you want half of it to overlap right. uh, and you're using the eight millimeter wide, you do two clicks and then half of it overlaps with the, with the next frame. Uh, or you can do a one click and then you've so got the, four exposures on every one of those areas. So it sounds to me like the this other thing we're looking at then would be a three centimeter wide slot, right? For getting a yeah. panorama. Yeah. No, it's it's 24 millimeters. Uh, okay. So yeah. right. it, it, so what I uh, what I was first doing was I was doing a 16 click and it, it believe me, uh, once you get in the habit, it's easy to count 16. Um but the uh, I was doing a 16 millimeter click or excuse me, uh, I'll say that again. I was doing a 16 click advance and I had wider gaps. And then I, you know, sat there and, and thought it up. You know, this is it is 24 millimeters wide. There are two per millimeter. This is a 14 uh, gap. If you also want it's a 14 millimeter or excuse me a 14 click advance if you want a couple of millimeters between each frame, which generally we do. So you can overlap them if you want, but this one I've been shooting kind of straight. Um, okay. So, 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 but I'm still, are you using a mask that's about that wide? Oh yeah. Yeah. So what it is, is um, uh, the, Holgas originally came with uh, a 645 mask that would sit in the camera, okay? It would sit in that film gate. And there are two different, um, there are two different options on, the, uh, on that red window in the back. You can look through the uh, 6x6 or the 645 numbers. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and you just slide it one way or slide it the other way to to get the different numbers. But slide uh, what? What? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, what are you sliding? Okay. Yeah. Okay. On the back of the Holga, on the outside of the back of the Holga, there's a a long rectangle red window that covers both the six by six numbers 
and the six four five numbers. Right, but what are you so, sli- sliding? Oh, there's a cover. There's a cover. You okay. Slide. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. so, so I've been thinking with with all these amazing slit processes that you're using that you're doing with this magical click device that you should get a, a hold of a Holga and just turn it into a graph lock back so that you can use the same oh. bunch of uh, shenanigans with a whole range of different lenses instead of just the whole gun. Okay. Yeah, I think we, you could do that. I don't think that that would be a difficult thing at all. No. Um, uh, both of my whole guns right now are sitting in the car. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, I'm looking around my desk looking to pick up a whole gun and see. Yeah, I can take uh, it's. I don't think it's difficult to take the lens off a of Holga at all. So what you would want to do is just use that Holga as the back. Exactly. And then uh, put something out for the front for um, uh, that that would able that would be able to mount uh, a, a larger lens or a different lens. Now, yeah, I mean, you, you could actually you, you could just take an old uh, sheet film holder and remove the interface that fits the back of a graph lock and then glue the, you know, oh, cut the front off of a hole. Oh, yeah. glue, glue that onto the film holder. And oh, there I you see. are. Yeah. Right. I Oh, I see what you're what you're doing with that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's pretty much how they built, you know, yeah. the roll film backs for uh, for a lot of those. The, the only problem is I'm not sure whether you can get the film plane close enough. So that, you know, like your uh, or you would have to have to mess around with where your focus is because well, you'd, you'd have to use long enough lenses. That's all. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm thinking about, OK, so a, a graph lock, one of the things that a graph lock has is, um, you know, a lot of them had that range finder. Well, that range finder is assuming that the that the um, the film is going to be the film plane. Right. Is in a certain OK, location. so so forget the range finder. And all you all then you then all you need to do is create your own ground glass back that has the same distance uh, right. between between the inter you know the the part that hits the camera and where the film plane will be. So you just have to make a custom ground glass holder that matches your film holder. That's yeah, you know yeah. you know part of the deal that I'm thinking right now is the killer the killer solution for that, and I think this is a really good idea. And I'm about to go see if I can get another one. The killer solution for that is not a six by six regular Holga, but it's the WPC. It's the wide pinhole camera. Um, so then you have a six by twelve back for a uh, you know for like a graph lock or any four by five camera. So let me see if I can get one because this always makes the best podcasting is if I look for. Um, well, while you're doing that, I can uh, I can mention that I also have. Oh yeah, I can get one right now. Sixty three bucks, Amazon. Yeah. So I sold off that Bel Air uh, that I had, which is great. But oh, I held okay. on. I held on to the thirty five millimeter rollback that go that that fit on it. Uh, makes yeah. an extreme. It, it's a it's an automatic advanced crank film holder that makes an extremely long, wide uh, panorama with thirty five millimeter and. You know, six by nine, uh, anything that'll cover a six by 12 will easily cover it. So it's usable with a lot of setups. Um, and I, I figure I'm going to make back, you know, make a camera that goes with that or else make a way to mount it because, uh, yeah, 
that thing worked really well. And uh, this similar, it's like we've talked before about creating our own uh, special role film back that allows, gives you more control. But it sounds like the whole it gets you much of what we wanted already. So be, I think. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. Is I'm looking, I'm looking at this one online, and right now it says there are a couple of different sellers, but this one is $63, and there's only one left order soon. What, what cost? Um, what cost $63? The Holga WPC. Oh, the oh, wide the, pin, pin the pinhole. Hole. Right, right, right. Yeah, but I mean, we just ripped the front off. It looks like it is, from what I can tell. Uh, it looks. Oh, hang on a second. I've got one in my cabinet. So keep uh, vamp for a moment there. Uh, oh, <laughs> okay. No one's and it is unloaded. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, so it is unloaded. The big thing that I need to do is figure out what the distance is from. I don't want to. I don't want to get rid of the. Oh God, it all comes out too. Um, okay, I don't want to get rid of the mine that has pinholes because I freaking love pinhole and I love six by twelve pinhole. I'm about yeah, to well, go I'll, to I'll just North keep Carolina. an eye on this. Keep an eye on the junk shops because they turn up around here for really low prices. I, I don't know about the super wide one, but hold yeah. this too. And I kind of like yeah, this. Well, I kind of like the basic standard six by six as well. Um, yeah. Okay, that's... it is 31, 31 millimeters from the um, from the film plane, 31.5 millimeters from the film plane to the front of the camera. If you were to just lop off the, uh, which I think is, yeah, you can just unscrew. So that's a very, that is a wide angle. That is a very wide angle. And well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and how, well, and no, that's. That that's not from the lens. Um, the lens adds um, uh, the uh, the lens. I mean, well, it's 42, the pinhole. 40, 42, 43. Um, yeah, okay. That. That's still that's still very wide. That's a that's a roll film. That's a one twenty film camera, right? So twenty roll film. Yeah. Yeah, and then how wide is it? Tw- the image twelve sets twelve Six centimeters. By 12. Yeah. Six by twelve, or uh, they also a have a less. Mask. Yeah. Mask. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. Okay. So that's actually something, uh, something that I might, I might just do, um, because yeah. What is that in inches though? Hang in a second. Uh, what's 12 centimeters in inches? That's five, isn't it? Around yeah, that. Yeah. Right around that. Four, yeah. by five, four by five film is nine by 12, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that this is a solution. This is actually something that's really good. Now, uh, on the front end, on the focusing end, uh, you can set it up to scale focus. Um, at least my um, press camera, you can set up to scale focus because it has a um, uh, it has a little scale focus element on, on, on the side all, of the on the side of the track that when on the move. side of the track all you have right. to do is get your focal point or excuse me your your you have to know the stop for your infinity focus so sure in and other on, words, on the it, crown it, graphic there's a little movable stop that you can set to match any right. lens 
Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And in fact, not, a lot of could get oh, yeah. multiple stops set up because they they fold out of the way. So you could set your camera up to have infinity stops for several different lenses uh, ready right. to go. Yeah. So, uh, and the scale uh, was a little removable rule that you could easily create for yourself by setting up targets at known distances and you know marking it off. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just wow. I mean, do and, I want to? And in a lot of ways. I'm, in a lot of ways, I'm getting to prefer scale focus to even yeah. rangefinder for a lot of circumstances. It's, uh, I agree. It's just it's less distracting in a way. You know, you just figure it out and do it. I was um, uh, I'll I'll be talking about this camera um, a little bit later in the in the what we're doing section, what we've been doing lately section. Um, but I have a new uh, little camera that I'm setting up, and so I put some ground glass at the film gate. And I'm sitting in front of the TV because the TV is the only light. Or, well, I'm sitting in front of the TV because I'm watching a hockey game. But uh, I'm sitting in front of the TV, and it's the only bit of light. So uh, I needed to make sure that my uh, I was in the right ballpark for focus. Because mm -hmm. for some reason, there was just, you know, like that second guessing that I kept kept getting in, my, in, in the back of my head. Um, and uh, I, I put it... I, I have a little rangefinder, a little uh, mechanical rangefinder, um, old style mechanical rangefinder, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so um, that's about four, four and a half meters away from me, and uh, I put it up, uh, I set it to that, uh, the rangefinder to that, and I put it up to my <clears throat> to my eye, and sure enough, it was perfectly on that four and a half. Mm -hmm. um, uh, meter. Yeah. You just get in the habit and you can do it. Uh, it's just like getting in the habit of looking at the sky and looking at the light and the way it's hitting things and say, ah, okay, so that's F8. Um, or that's F4 or that's F F2 or whatever. Yep. Um, you know, you, you kind of get in that habit. So, uh, so yeah, scale focusing, I'm perfectly good with, uh, I don't have any problem with that at all. Right, so that's um, the that's the answer if you're making your own film back. So now this uh, panoramic camera that you've been working on, you're you're also building one from scratch, I think. Yes, and we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about that later. All right. In the what we've been doing section. So, uh, but yeah. So let's see. Let's go back to your original question. Your original question was about the masks that I do uh, mm -hmm. that I in. Um, in the Holgas, what was the? Well, I just was trying to figure out um, how much, how, how many shots you're getting off of a roll. With oh, that, okay. With that, and and I wanted to make sure that you were. It was just a single mask, and now I understand you're using the camera in with a portrait mode. You can just keep rolling. So what I, I'm going to guess that you're getting what 24 shots or more out of out of a roll, huh? Um, yeah, you can get about that. Um, That's good. Yeah, you can you can get about 24 shots. Um, now it's not um, going to be uh, you know sometimes it'll be a little bit more, sometimes it'll be a little bit less. Um, if you because sometimes you over click. I mean it's just that's the nature of the beast. So I think um, that, I think it's I think it's pretty cool though because with uh, my panorama you know X pan style back, I'm getting 15 shots out of a roll of 36 shot 35 millimeter right. film and if you're getting you're getting 
almost 24 yeah 24 out of a piece a roll of 120 film well 120 is cheaper it's cheaper than 35 millimeters so well 35 millimeter 36 exposure absolutely yeah yeah so that's a you know so you're that's a significant savings for a very similar size panoramic image right although if you bulk roll your film um the cost I, i think the cost would be lower than even the cheapest 120 if you're bulk rolling yeah but are you um, gonna be bulk, bulk rolling portrait 400 i don't think so no i will not be bulk <laughs> rolling portrait 400 because i can't find portrait 400 in a bulk roll so right but it but it but if you 120 portrait 400 isn't that expensive if you're getting 24 right. panoramic shots anyway it sounds like a really a good solution to me i like it um, and again, that's another thing. If we made a Holga back for regular camera, um, that'd right. be another another thing you could do. So. Yeah, exactly. So, hey, what do you say we start the homemade camera podcast? Sure. Okay, so I've been thinking a lot about what kind of pictures to take. So uh, it's I'm I'm somebody who likes all the different genres, and I resist you know specializing. So people are street photographers, or landscape photographers, or wildlife photographers, or whatever. Those categories always they just seem wrong to me. They don't really describe what what's different kinds of photography for me. Those are more just different places to go take pictures and. So I was starting to think, well, okay, so what kind of photography is interesting? And it occurred to me that what I'm looking for is photographs that show some kind of an interaction. So it it could be between different people, but it could be between uh, any 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 kind of entity. It could be, you know, uh, architecture interacting with nature or it could be uh, different, you know, geology interacting with with, you know, botanical stuff or whatever. So there's. When there's some or weather, you know, interacting with a little landscape or there's interactions are really what interests me. It's it's sort of when one thing is uh, having an impact or communicating with something else in some way. That's what's interesting rather than just a bunch of stuff, you know, artfully arranged with a good lighting. Something that conveys more than that. And people talk about telling a story, um, but maybe that could be a little grandiose it's sometimes uh-huh. just a, a momentary thing or or maybe just a tangentially sends you off uh you know to follow a storyline or whatever but it's the interaction i think that is the center of, of what i'm interested in so i started thinking about what you know what what to uh look for and when i also another sort of slant that that takes is the idea of metaphor so uh, when you find disparate things that speak to each other uh, in terms of ideas or uh, events or whatever that's another sort of interaction or another way to think of interaction that um that i look for and and so well what you know how do you go about finding that i mean other than just uh keeping your eyes open and looking at the world this style of photography to me very often does require a kind of a quick and spontaneous uh 
shooting style. So even if I'm photographing, you know, waves at the beach, that's not to me all that different than street photography, where you're trying to catch, the, you know, a certain juxtaposition of events or movements at a precise time. So that sort of nimbleness um, is something I'm always come back to uh-huh. uh, with with cameras that I prefer using. And I think that's why, because looking for that, you know, perfect alignment of things can take some some dancing around and some timing. Okay, so one of the things that you're talking about uh, when you say interactions of things, interactions of people, interactions of, um, you know, various items with other various items. Here's my question. How would you take a picture without an interaction in it? Because, uh, okay, so I'll I'll back up a little bit. I'd agree with that, but let me just just stop and say, um, I'm looking for particularly interesting interactions or unusual interactions or, you know, think obviously there's always, it's sort of like what's annoying about the the whole idea of conceptual art. It's like, there isn't any art that isn't conceptual. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes what they really mean is that's all that's left. They've stripped everything else away except the concept, which to me can be pretty dull. Um, So yeah, you can, you could belabor this, but nevertheless uh what i mean is looking for the exceptional uh example of that okay um one of the things that i uh one of my particular uh common inner or uh common subject matter uh one of the things that i look for when i take photos that's a much better way of saying it um is i i like to see the impact of humanity upon the world but not necessarily with humanity in the picture. You know, if we if we think about this, okay, so um, yeah. if we go to the end of your driveway, there is a road that runs basically north and south, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that road is blacktop. It's asphalt, whatever you want to want to say. Yeah, and it um with the it was built. It was the asphalt was laid down. There was a road base that was made and there was, you know, all that. Um, and then, you know, they, they put the asphalt across it. I don't know. Did they seal coat where you are? Um, yeah. Put, yeah. Okay. So that, then they seal coat it. Then they put stripes down it. Um, and in all of that, that road does not have any vehicles on it for, uh, a vast majority of the of the time, um, you know, so even if you have a uh, morning rush hour, you have a line of cars going down there, uh, um, you know, cars have a three car length, let's hope, uh, between cars. So that means it only has a 25 percent usage even at that point. Right. So it's got 75 percent potential usage. And then, but then on, you know, um, it's a bad design for a train is what you're saying. Well, okay. So no, what I'm saying is it (laughs) is out of use much, much more like vastly, like maybe 99% of the time it does not have a vehicle on it. Yeah. A lot of small animals make that error of judgment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. They do. But, um, but still, you know, the problem is it's the 1%, um, uh, time that the, the animals have the 
have the error, you know. So if you cross the road a hundred times, by probability you're going to be hit, um, or you're going to be there at the same time another vehicle is, or our vehicle is. But um, okay, so uh, it, it, this comes back to the philosophy. This comes back to my shooting philosophy: is we make a we make this world to inhabit, and we don't use the vast majority of everything that we make the vast majority of the time. So uh, let's let's put it this way. Uh, I don't know. How many pairs of pants do you have, Nick? Uh, too many to count. Too many to count. So how many of those are not being used? You know, the vast majority of those are not being used. Well, my problem uh, is I can't throw them away. I just can't bring myself to. So I figure out someday I'm going to patch that and then I put it in the uh, closet. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so but I mean, you know, that, that pants, you know, uh, uh, to me, it's the infrastructure that we build. We build some incredible infrastructure uh, in the Western world. Um, and that infrastructure uh costs resources and it costs money and i'm very happy that it's there don't get me wrong i'm very happy that it's there um you know and, and if you think of some of the in infrastructure such as the power lines going to my house are in constant use i don't I'm know if i if i can completely agree that i i wouldn't say i'm happy it's there i enjoy using it but I'm kind of unhappy it's there because we're postponing the bill for all this crap into the oh, yeah, near yeah, future. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, I am very happy to use it while it's there. How about that? Is that a better way of saying it? Right. Um, what, what weeping sadly as you use it. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, and, and it, it comes down to um, in communist Eastern Europe, um, the Soviet Eastern Europe, um, there was a uh, a guy who went into Bulgaria, and there, uh, I read this. This is an article in Wired magazine from maybe ten years ago. Um, so he goes into Bulgaria, and Bulgaria had almost nothing in the way of communications lines. So there were very few phone lines. There were very few, um, you know, I guess maybe even telegraph lines or any, I don't know what they were using there, but very, very little in the way of that type of infrastructure. And he was hired by the, by the government to build a telecommunications network. And of course he built it based on a Wi-Fi network um, and uh, with relays and all, you know, all across the country. And there are lots of there. It, it, this is also playing out in Africa. There are lots of areas that don't have um, phone lines, but have cell towers. Right. So a cell tower, even though it's a monstrous device, is much more economically feasible than getting a phone line to every house in a neighborhood. Right. You know, you build one tower, right? Uh, and that's what one of the things that Tesla was on about, um, not the car manufacturer, but the, the real dude, Tesla, yeah, the real Tesla um, <laughs> was he he wanted to do a broadcast, uh, a um, transfer of electricity through the air that would completely alleviate the the problem of of wiring. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows what happened? There's a movie coming out called Current 
it's about Tesla and Edison and Westinghouse. And I want to go see it, but I also know that they're going to electrocute uh, an elephant in that movie because no, they're just uh, going to pretend. They're going to pretend to. They're going to yes, pretend. Yes, I know. It's going to be a man. It's going to be a man in an elephant suit. I think. Yeah. Well, that 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 we can you know electrify, especially if it right. was Edison. Um. So so my uh, my point on that is what I like is the interaction of that uh built world with the natural world um you know and how do we modify the natural world in uh in order to help the built world you know uh and, and that type of thing that's that's what i am probably most interested in photographing so that's an interaction um yep. mm-hmm. so so what what other meaningful interactions are you looking for well i i focused you know, my main, my own interest is focused first on living things, so plants and animals. But um, what you're talking about, the interaction of, you know, humans, culture, and modification of the landscape uh, with the natural world also has always interested me a lot. And a lot of my uh, other work is, uh, is built around that, too. Um, the ironwork that I make has the same theme. And it's when you make something... you are always carrying out some sort of balance between reference to the world as it is and reference to the world as you, you know, sort of want to, there's that kind of interaction too. That's just in the process of, of making the picture or whatever other kind of uh, artwork you're going to make. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle is a big part of it, right? Well, yeah, Uh, it could, could be. I mean, isn't that uh, isn't the Heisenberg uncertainty principle the exact same thing as street photography? You know? <laughs> well, sure. Uh, if if somebody sees that you're taking a picture, they change. Yeah, I mean, am, am I right? That's what Heisenberg uncertainty principle is. simply by it's a really something. really good metaphor for it, and that's what I'm talking okay. about exactly right there. Yeah. yeah, simply simply by observing something, you change that something. Mm-hmm. So you can never be sure that what you're observing is the actual something. Right. So, uh, yeah. OK. So, I mean, that's uh, what I think a lot. Um, you know, Perry G on uh, the Classic Lenses podcast, uh, not this last episode because he's off uh, on vacation, but the uh, episode before um uh, there was uh, he he rebutted something that was on the Sunny 16 podcast. We're really getting incestuous with our comments, aren't we? Because I'm commenting on something that anyway. Um, so uh, my my uh, point on that is um, that. When you do point a camera at something, it uh, it reacts differently, just. Try your dog. I'm telling you. Try your dog. Yeah. And my dog's gotten up and left. Apparently, I bored her. So um, maybe she went to get her her camera, take a picture. That's right. To take a picture of me. And then I'll pose. I'm surprised Uh, you haven't strapped a camera to the dog yet. Oh, I well, I haven't strapped. I did. I tried. I have tried. Uh, I had those little. uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, GoPro like cameras. I didn't ever buy a GoPro cause they're overpriced. 
but uh, so you, have the, have, you have the dog uh, pro. Right. Exactly. And I've done things like um, I have a trailer for my bicycle that um, Trudy runs or Trudy uh, rides in. Um, and I have uh, used the GoPro to watch her because um, she's behind me. And I can't see her. Uh, so <laughs> just to see what she sees and, and how she enjoys her day and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I sold all those cameras long ago. I got bored with making those types of videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, OK, so, um, yeah, what else? What other things can make a photograph interesting? What I, I mean, are you uh, is interaction? Um, well, OK, we talked about interaction. Um, what about metaphor? You said interactions and metaphor. Well, it's so the same I, it's the same idea it, to, okay. to, to my way of thinking. Um, so ideas from maybe slightly disparate realms that uh, that are aligned with each other or remind one of the other or uh, describe one, you know, in an illuminating way. All of those essentially a, a metaphor is an interaction between ideas. So it's the same for for my way of thinking. It's the same type of subject. Okay. Okay. Um, certainly, I'll I'll, uh, I'll accept that. I'll accept that. So, with that in mind, uh, it it helps to have it helps to have some sort of theme. So, you're talking about wanting to photograph the interaction between humans, uh, uh, structures in the landscape, and I guess the landscape itself, or you know, the natural world, or some some background. Uh, that interaction is something that particularly interests you. And how do you go about searching for examples of that? I mean, I know you wander around the neighborhood and you keep going back to the same places. Um, well, is, is that refining? The, is that refining how you understand those interactions, or are you just sort of collecting them? Well, um, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, part of the deal is that there are three. There are three elements to um to what i'm talking about the first element is the natural world uh before humanity came um you know there you know there there was a tree or there was a um you know a rolling hill there was a valley there was a stream whatever um and then the second interaction is the interaction of humans coming in with bulldozers taking out the tree uh, putting a bridge over the stream um, and leveling the ground so a vehicle can pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, all of that element. The third element that I see is time and the revenge of nature. Okay, and that's one thing. And that's just the entropy that happens once something is constructed well, actually, before something's constructed, entropy begins. But, you know, entropy is the is the most natural of all uh, things that are on our planet and maybe in our universe. Um, uh, everything is going to another state. Right. So we put out, uh, you know, let's go back to your road. There's there's asphalt and probably underneath the asphalt, there's crushed limestone. And underneath that, there may be larger crushed stone. And then there's a, a, a whatever the, the ground was before 
people came along. I don't know. Is there clay in your area? What's if you dig deep enough, do you get sand? Do you get clay? Do you get so what stuff? I'm I'm perched on a glacial moraine left by the last oh, ice okay. age. So okay, it's so a mixture probably, of clay and sand, uh, yeah. all swirled up like a big fruitcake of different different kinds of material. Uh, uh-huh. But it, it it is actually very, the whole island is a giant remnant of an interaction between a huge ice sheet and oh, okay. the local geology, and it left this track. Um, so the scale That's of... That's the reason why it's a north to south shaped island. And right, right. So it's, so it's oh. a landscape on natural forces interaction that you can see from, you know, from outer space. It's, it's, yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't, I didn't realize that. So, so it's a, so it has a, uh, a gravelly, um, exactly. Play, uh, uh, foundation on there. It's not, there's, you're not hitting bedrock or anything like that. No, no, not at all for a very long way down. Yeah. Um, maybe even below the sea level, but anyway, yeah. So so anyway, uh, my uh, uh, so that was what was there. In fact, actually, you know, the fact that it is a marine um, is a very interesting element of the interaction between the different elements on the planet. You know, um, the the ice versus the stone. Uh, and the and ice. when you when you walk along the beach here, you see this glacial moraine is being carved away by the current ocean level. And so there are these steep banks with a cross section of all that uh, historical. There are, for instance, logs that are thousands of years old will emerge from the banks of the, uh, of this, glacial moraine so that some very old trees they're almost fossils will reappear as the ocean erodes the shore Uh, and you know and mammoth teeth and things like that turn up um wow so yeah so there's have you ever seen have you ever found jimmy hoffa's shoe no well i I don't know for sure i don't know for sure but i probably not it would say jimmy on the inside and i probably would say l or r yeah no i don't I don't think it's I don't think it's very likely to show up here. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so anyway, the um, I mean, that's that, you know, so we we go to that all of that nature and then we come along and we put something on top of it. And then it starts that asphalt starts to uh, uh, be acted upon by freezing and thawing. Do you get much freezing? I don't know whether you do. No, you no. Usually a couple of weeks in the winter and in, okay. at, at sea yeah. level. And all I have to do is go up a mountain and there it's frozen all the time. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. But but how how high are you uh, above sea level? 80 to 100 feet around okay. where I live. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 30 feet up uh, from sea level. But uh, during the during the winter, we freeze uh, a couple of times usually. Um, mm-hmm. during Yeah. Right. But um, so so freezing and thawing is not a big effect on that. But if you were, um, yeah, as you said, up eleva- elevation inland um, or, you know, anywhere away from that coast, you're going to get that freezing and thawing. That water is going to go down into that uh, road, into that material. It's going to, you know, drip down in the narrowest little crack. It's going to freeze. It's going to expand and it's going to pulverize that material so eventually 
um, it's going to be a gravel, right? Because that's that's the direction it's always going to head. Now, we'll probably repair your road before it gets to that. But then that patch is an inter- interesting element to me, too, because it is, um, you know, it's shoring up the structure. It is stopping the entropy. It is slowing down the entropy. It's it's replacing something that has entropized. I don't know what the <laughs> what that word is. Uh, that, that succumbed. <laughs> yeah, this that's decayed. To me, that's a very very interesting thing. So, um, w- one of the uh, big evidences that I have, and when I was in Seattle, um, one of the p- pictures I took a lot of um, is the street, the um, the paint that we put on the street because that very rarely or very it's only nice and clean and pristine for a very short period of time but then it starts chipping and gets worn away and it gets dirty and it gets you know all those different elements um and and the fact that the pattern of wear is never uniform and i'm going to use the word never being you know very close to never um, it, 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 well, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be entropy. It wouldn't be entropy if it was uniform. <laughs> well, it, no, it'll all eventually get it, but it doesn't get it at the same rate. Right. That's my point. And so, that is one of the most interesting things in the world. You know, you have a sign, you know, an old metal sign that somebody's painted, you know, no parking, uh, towaway zone, whatever. Um, and it sits in the rain that's something you have a little bit of out where you are. Uh, it sits in the rain and the bolt that holds that sign to whatever surface it's holding it to is uh, will start to rust. And then that rust will start to cover the paint and some of the paint will wash off because, it, you know, it's two different paints. Right. Because you have the background of the sign, you have the foreground of the sign and that uh, so sometimes you'll have one or two letters that are completely illegible and another two letters or five letters or most of the sign or whatever that is almost pristine the day it was made. That to me is one of the most interesting things in the world because it is that uneven, um, uh, uneven nature, um, uneven, um, uh, you have, you do have a, fascination with messy things i can see i do yes absolutely perfect is boring perfect is boring absolutely unless you know it's uh you know a hamburger in which case a hamburger perfect is very exciting (laughs) 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 okay okay but not to photograph uh not to photograph no absolutely piece of cake there we go I like that. Cake is good. A perfect cup of coffee. So I went out and bought a lens for my Fuji digital camera. I have a Fuji uh, X-E2, 
And I went out and bought a lens because I wasn't really happy with the lenses that I was adapting. And I bought it because, you know, I was under the influence of the uh, Classic Lenses podcast and and other people uh, like you, Nick, who uh, adapt older lenses to newer mirrorless cameras. And this is a mirrorless camera. But there was something, you know, it was big and it was heavy and it was, uh, you know, um, uh, I would have a lens mounting system, the adapter and the lens, that would be as far from the front of the camera as the camera was long. And that didn't, I, I don't, didn't like that form factor. I like kind of a, a flat wide camera um, as opposed to, you know, a T-shaped object because it doesn't fit in my pocket really well. Uh, so I went out and I bought a 35 millimeter f 1.2 uh, lens for my for for this uh, Fuji X mount camera, and it cost me 70 bucks on uh, Amazon. It was just it was 70 dollars, mm-hmm. uh, and that's almost nothing, right? Um, and it, you know if you consider a lens, that's a used that's a, a like a used canon fd lens price um and for for a brand new lens designed for a modern camera yeah for a brand new optical uh optically very using modern optics which you know it goes for sharpness goes for contrast goes for color rendition you know and and there it's it's way down the path now uh simon just close your ears uh because we're get, you know, and, uh, and this is Simon Forster from the Classical Lenses podcast. Just uh, don't listen to me because I'm going to talk about how good that little lens is. Um, and the the it it, it struck it, it's struck me first of all, it's an f 1.2 lens, and that's well past any lens that I've had for maximum aperture. Um, uh, and it is it gets incredibly short depth of focus or depth of field um and it but also when i you know stop it down it gets really good sharp images and when i have it on a really short depth of field i can still nail the focus with that camera so it's uh, it, it really is a um uh, a, it's the right lens for me for that camera um and it's light and it's small and it's cheap so i started thinking about how we can use that in a camera that we can build we can use a lens like that in the camera that we can build so that lens has the aperture built in so we don't have to worry about controlling the aperture but what we need to worry about is the shutter so I, you know, once again, I am not, uh, I, you know, Ethan, um, by the way, we haven't even mentioned, <laughs> we haven't even mentioned Ethan is, uh, is on vacation. That's the reason why Ethan's not on this show. But you uh, can also tell because there's no squeaking. There's and no squeaking. We, That's right. This is proof that the squeaking is coming from Ethan. Yeah. 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 And, um, and we're one beard short. Um, so um yeah it, but the uh so anyway my my uh the whole idea on this is i'm not ethan i'm not going to build a uh curtain shutter uh because 
Um, I think it's you know, because I, you don't you don't feel like it. I think that's I, well, no, I think a lot of it is I don't really have the time to put into that because <laughs> that is a heck of a lot of engineering. I think I could probably do it if I had enough time to do it. But really, seriously, uh, for designing cameras and building cameras and taking pictures and developing them and doing this podcast and doing my other podcast when I do my other podcast, the, I, I have about six hours a week I can do that, which is a lot. That is a lot of free time to do your hobby. Uh, but I only have about six hours a week. And I want to develop and do I, I want to do some of the other things. So mm-hmm. I I'm probably not going to do a curtain, you know, an in-body curtain shutter for this. Mm-hmm. But we can do other things. OK, so um, one of the things that I've, I've been thinking about doing um, is uh, a um, what do you call uh, a uh, filter ring adapter so something that screws on to the end that so it's has the be a shutter, shutter shutter out in front of the lens a shutter out in front of the lens right and and that means that it will have to have a long throw meaning that it uh you know okay um on a okay so i'll pick up my uh schneider kreutznach super angulon 65 millimeter um eight uh f8 lens and it has a shutter that opens um uh, i would say two centimeters not much more than two centimeters uh that's the diameter of the opening um so 20 millimeters is the opening for that well i'm gonna need if i'm gonna put something on the end of a lens it's going to have to open um you know uh 50 millimeters or 70 millimeters um it's got to open a considerably larger amount and i'm probably not going to build a leaf shutter uh for this um but it's gonna have to you know it's gonna sit on the end um now we have a couple of options uh for that um we have a rotary shutter which is essentially a disc um, that has an opening in it. Um, so it would rotate past. Um, or we could use a guillotine shutter, which is essentially a curtain shutter, but it moves, um, you know, uh, often um, through gravity or... Yeah, and, and that, those were often built in the early days they would make in front of the lens guillotines of some of the early cameras uh, and use gravity and and slow film to get a pretty quick result um and then so those are two approaches and then a third one is the swing lens where the lens essentially is like uh, moving a searchlight of slot of light across the film and that effectively shortens the time because it's exposing the film a little a little bit at a time from left to right um and you can control that slot size as as an adjustment so right. you can and that but that is not what you're talking about because you can't put that in the front of a lens although it is right. true that you could you could set up a swing lens camera with the type of lens you're talking about and 
you just have to bend the film in an arc and that matches the radius, you know, of the distance between the yes. part of the lens and the film. So that would be a way to use lenses that don't come in a shutter, set them up in a, in a swing lens camera. The only problem with that is uh, I, I always think for a, a swing lens camera, you need to have as light a lens as possible. No, you just have to have it balanced on a really good pivot. Okay. Well, uh, okay, but still, the amount of power. Well, uh, yeah, okay. I, 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 I take your point. Um, it can be if, done if it is perfectly balanced. You need very little energy. Um, mm-hmm. What was it? What is it that um, uh, the doors of the um, of the locks of the Panama Canal, the original? doors it had like what 100 watt motors or something yeah well you can uh, because you can of op- how they were balanced right you can operate a lot of locks on on smaller canals um yeah by hand. Man- manually yeah. turned sure yeah so so that's that's a similar thing so that yeah. okay so you've got your guillotine and your rotating disc you could uh you could create a curtain out in front too um you know there's no reason not to Right. Um, you could swing the lens. Uh, what else? So uh, one thing that one thing that okay. I always uh, think of that we keep that I keep sort of putting to the back of my mind and forgetting is that you could, especially in the northern latitudes in winter, you could simply do all your photography at night and just use a strobe as your light control mechanism and okay. <laughs> just take the lens cap off and then fire your fire right. your light. So. Well, that's There's what a, they did in, in the early days. Um, sure. You often see the, you know, uncover the lens and then have the flash powder. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, that's another way is you just control the light uh, source instead of the opening in the camera. Right. Absolutely. That that is uh, that is definitely doable. Um, another way is you know uh, paper negatives and ND filters combined can give you a pretty a pretty long time right. even so the with uh, a wide open aperture yeah. yeah right so that you can do it manually yeah yeah so so you have gone out and you have gotten a swing lens camera well i stumbled uh, on one yeah. yeah and and i'm really intrigued by that solution so i found a a, a kodak panoram so this is from early in the 20th century it's a a banquet camera. It's designed for taking a big panorama. They used this one used roll film that was I've forgotten how wide, but it's wider than 120. It's it's uh-huh. uh, I could probably measure it. It looks like it's about four and a half inches wide, um, maybe even a little bit more. And then the image was 12 inches long. It's got you know a, you could get you could get paper yeah, that sure. um. And, and cut it to that size. Yeah, it would be pretty and, easy to do with paper nicks. And then also, um, you know, if you figure that that's a camera from 190 whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Have you looked it up what what its manufacture date was? I did, and I forgot. But it's from okay. early in the 20th century, and these were a relatively common type of camera that people used for taking large group portraits. Um, and the uh-huh. lens, the lens swings. It has a little like rectangular funnel kind of at the back of the lens that aims a 
a slot of light at the film as it swings past, there's a sort of mousetrappy spring arrangement that's supposed to shoot the lens from one side to the other. And then the lens has a very supple leather bellows, essentially, which allows it to swing through a 180-degree arc. And out of that, about, I don't know, at least 120 degrees is an image. So it's a very wide field of view, but not a super wide-angle lens, which is something that really appeals to me. Because I like normal lenses, and I also like wide panoramas. And the only real way you can have both is is with a swing lens. So it's a design that, that has a lot of appeal to me. This particular camera, I'm going to be able to get pictures with it, but um, it's it's broken, which is why it was so cheap. Uh, but I can either repair it or modify how it works. Uh, but I think it's going to get me started in this direction. And then the fact that it the fact that you are creating a shutter by moving the lens is also exciting to me because it really means once this once I build a basic setup for doing this, I could try different lenses. Uh, uh, in this same kind of uh, setup so it'd be a lot of yeah. fun to play with yeah it looks like um the it was 105 format um and it uh the panoramas were made 1900 to 1926 mm-hmm. and i'm on mike by the way mike ekman.com and um they uh, although hang on a second uh, yours had um, a number four panorama, which was three and a half inches by twelve inches. I think that's it. Uh, yeah, wait, it looks wi- it looks wider than three and a half, but it maybe you're right. Um, okay, and um, oh, sorry, no, the film is number four film. Right. So it, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was one hundred five film. Um, but the, uh, you could roll up some paper on one of those, or you could just, you know, do it as a one shot. Right. And, and people also convert them to use 120 in them. You just, you just need yeah. to make a guide so that it's a very, very simple right. design. It would be extremely easy right. to modify it. And uh, that would work too. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of, of paper at this point, um, because then I could, set it up to almost use it manually and, uh, you know, have a sl- much slower s- swing be easy to modify for that. Okay. But, and I'm going to make sure I'm going to put this website in the, um, uh, in the show notes so you guys can know about that. So, um, it, it looks like, it looks like the swing. I'm just lo- watching a video. It looks like the swing is fairly quick. It is. It's um, actually it's actually a s- possible to basically handhold this thing. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a surprisingly it's a surprisingly good camera and the the yeah. the resolution of the images uh that I've seen that other people have made with them um look very good. It's uh Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's a bit it's really a pretty impressive little machine and it's something that you can definitely build with very basic materials it's just a yeah. box and some you know a couple of roll spindles and i mean it's very simple structure yeah um the um uh sorry i'm uh i'm just uh, i watched a little video of the action so yeah uh definitely if you're you guys are interested in swing lens uh take a look at this website because it, it shows the mechanics in action <clears throat> 
in action and it, it swings both directions. Mm-hmm. So you you set it, um, you know, you you essentially tension it one direction and expose it, then advance the film and tension it the other direction and it'll swing back. So it doesn't, right, which you don't it need doesn't have cap. to go back. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Because yep. uh, other, otherwise, it would, you'd get a double exposure. Otherwise, um, yeah. Although that's another thing you could do with it. So th- it's going to be another one of those cameras where its simplicity is deceptive, and it'll turn out to be a lot of different ways it, it can be used. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So uh, yeah, highly highly recommended. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so I. Uh, if we were to do something like that for uh, what are, what are some of the concerns? If we were going to set up our own swing lens camera with an existing lens and, and you could, I mean, one of the first things that I would do is, uh, you know, take off, take a Holga lens, uh, you know, remove a, a, a lens from a Holga because that's going to be a light. It's going to be very, you know, it's going to be easy to use. Um, we we just have to you know it's plastic um if you destroy you destroy it um but that would be a a really good starting point so what what are some of the concerns that we have to think about when when building a swing lens well you have to come up with a flexible uh light tight uh front so that the thing can move from left to right without letting light pass and you want this to be easy to do and now these cameras used a big baggy piece of leather that was cleverly Uh sewn so that the lens was able to move very quickly without any drag from the Mm -hmm. the very supple piece of leather some it feels like and i don't know what it was but it's kind of that supple quality you get from uh, old-fashioned deer skin or something like that Um, okay sure or uh, or or glove uh yeah, yeah yeah So uh, you could, excuse me. Yeah, you could come up with a mechanical uh, light seal that would work, but you'd need a lot more precision. So I think that the soft fabric approach is a good, a really good way to do it. And uh, they use, they're, you know, depending on how fast you want the thing to move, you can be either spring loaded or it could be slower. If you're using paper, you could, you're probably going to want to slow it down quite a bit. Um, yeah. And you, you could make it manual, um, just put a lever on it that you could, just swing right. from one side to the other uh, or even slower with a clock drive driven version or whatever. Now, in order to get the panoramic effect uh, optically correct, you really want to rotate around the nodal point of the lens. Now, remember, right. the nodal point of the lens is the point at which the um, the light rays coming in the top of the lens that end up going out of the bottom of the lens where the they cross. cross. Yeah. yeah. The only thing about that, that term, I'm not sure that's exactly the right term. They're, they're, in optics, the, the term nodal point refers to one specific uh, spot in the lens, and I'm not sure that is the node we're talking about. There's more than one uh-huh. node, and so I'm not going to use that term because I'm not positive it's correct, but what you're describing is accurate, and that's the that's sort of the neutral place where you can measure the distance from there to the film. And when that matches where it'll be in focus at infinity, then you, you've got the right uh, radius for your 
uh, arc in the film because it, the film needs to be curved so that that distance remains constant as the lens swings. If you use if you shown this swing lens on a flat piece of film, you're effectively changing the focal length, uh, you know, so it's closest at the middle and farthest away at the ends of the arc. And that that would create some other sort of image might be interesting to try it, but um, it would it would be distorted from our point of view. Yeah. Um, okay, so I um, I did find a website for Nodal Point. I'm not going to summarize it, but I will put it in the show notes. Um, and it's uh, and it's all about this about stitching together multiple images and um, yes, uh, that and, that method and, of making panoramas uses that yeah. same that same pivot point. But yeah. in that in that case, you're moving the whole camera. Um, and, and the relationship you're looking for there is the relationship between the camera and its surroundings. But it, that's just a m- sort of a mirror image of what's happening inside the camera, which is what we're talking right. about with the film. Right. Yeah. And this, um, uh, and this um, website goes through how to figure out determining the location of the nodal point. Um, and I believe what we're talking about is is that. Uh, correct is is where the the rays cross yeah and and i'm interested in in making a version of a swing lens camera where you can play with different lenses and with that in mind i will would build mine with some sort of way to fine-tune the distance between the pivot point that the lens is mounted on Uh and the film plane so it could be just it might be easiest to set it up so that you were moving the film back and forth so that your mechanism for keeping light out wouldn't have to accommodate movement. So, you know, extra movement. So you set up the front of the camera as a, as a, you know, stable thing that worked the same every time. And then you could put the actual film transport mechanism on a track that could be cranked farther away or closer to the lens uh, mm-hmm. to fine tune that. Um, but, you know, you're going to be shooting, with a fairly small aperture, uh, one thing about the swing lens, you were talking about keeping the lens light. Well, in order to um, in order to get this focus to have reasonable depth of field, you need to stop the thing down. So it, that automatically means the lens can be pretty small. So you, in a lot of ways, you'd once again be interested in sort of old-fashioned lenses that were that are that can be stopped pretty far down to get that depth of field. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. they can they can be smaller and lighter as, as well. So a lot of old lenses would work great. So what have you been uh, up to lately, Nick? What have you been doing? Uh, well, as, as far as photography goes, I've been getting out a little bit, taking some pictures. We've got intermittent sunshine, and uh, that's been sort of sporadic. And then I'm also working on selling off excess stuff. The, the cameras keep coming in faster than they're going out, and I've got to make some space, raise some money. So I've been dumping stuff. And that's, you know, once again, got me thinking about what I really use or what I really care about and what I don't. So it's actually a useful and interesting exercise. I mean, I'm one of these people that likes to pack and unpack and repack and try and figure out what the optimum uh, set of tools is for a particular project. And 
that's what all this is about, really. So that's been helpful. Thinning has been good for getting me to focus on what what really is effective and what isn't. All right. Um, I am. I have a couple things that I've been doing lately. One of them is um, I am about to go on a very short, you know, weekend, a long weekend, a short vacation um, from my home in uh, Florida to a uh, cabin in North Carolina. Um, and with the idea of seeing the changing leaves, we do here, here's what we get for, um, for autumn leaves in Florida. What we get is about this time of the year, um, green turns to greenish yellow. Then you will get one or two plants, um, you know, like a vine will give you red leaves, but mostly it's that greenish yellow. Um, and then in December, one set of trees will will turn and uh, and lose their leaves and some vines will turn and lose their leaves. But we never get that real that crescendo that, you know, you look at the side of the mountain and it's red and orange and, and yellow, all the fall colors. Yeah. Well, and, you, don't have, you don't have a hard frost and all the. Yeah, the, the right. Gradients. Exactly. Yeah. So so we're hoping we're going to do that um, at uh, next at the end of uh, this coming week. Uh, I will be back by the time this comes out. But, you know, that's the uh, the way. So anyway, my, my whole point on that is that a lot almost everything that I've been doing lately has been black and white. Um, so I um, I'm not even sure what I have in stock for like 120 film for color. Uh, I think I have one roll. Uh, well, I have to go into the, the freezer and check it out. So I'm planning that. I'm planning which cameras to take. I think I'll take my uh, Holga wide pinhole um, for for that. And um, I'm not sure what other cameras I'll take. Uh, I'll definitely take my Leica M2 with the 40 millimeter Summicron, that'll probably be my main camera. And I'll probably take a couple of other ones. I'll take my four by five, but I only have black and white film for my four take, by five. So I'd bring something wide. I just went into the mountains yeah. and our, our color is just starting to happen. So it was actually um, still very green. We've had a lot of uh-huh. rain recently. So it was very green, but then the first leaves are turning. So all the vine maples were bright gold. And uh-huh. just those, those little bursts of gold amidst all the green look really great and and it's also it's interesting this is one of the first times in a while that i've just not brought any digital stuff at all i just brought yeah two different rangefinders, a, a normal and a wide angle a very wide angle and i found myself using the very wide angle most of the time because really the most interesting shots a lot were often when i got really close to where the leaves started to have some presence and personality, um, but I still wanted a lot in the shot. And so that that kept turning out to be the lens I wanted to use, something good and wide. Okay, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I will definitely take my Fuji um, uh, digital camera. And, you know, the idea of the wide, I have an 18 millimeter lens for Minolta MD cameras. And I'll probably take that. You should uh, and that, use that on the Fuji. Uh, well, it, it, um, 
Yeah. <laughs> you should. Yes. Uh, uh, and and then the uh, yeah, I probably won't. But yes. <laughs> well, it's a, I, it's that's just, a twenty-eight. That's a twenty-eight millimeter equivalent on that. It's a very yeah, appealing yeah, yeah. focal length. Yeah, but it's way too onerous of a lens, probably, to do that with. Nonsense. But I, but I don't know. I may. I'll, I'll take the adapter. I'll <laughs> have the option. I'll take it's, the adapter. It's pretty foolproof. Everything's in focus. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, so I, that's one of the things that I've been doing. The other thing I've been doing is I have been i've been doing a lot of thought experiments um for uh building a uh six by twelve camera and then last week i sat down and did the drafting on it in fact um uh a week ago um yeah uh or sorry no at the beginning of this week uh we're recording on a friday at the beginning of this week on a monday we had an all day rainy day. And so I sat in my office and did the final um, designing on this thing. And then I printed it over the week. And uh, so I am putting together six by 12. Now I have made an error on the nose cone. So I will have to reprint the nose cone. I am printing the back doors right now. And when I say back doors, um, it's actually one back door. It's two parts that will be sandwiched together and then uh, they'll fit in. Uh, I use. Um, Are the, is that is the two parts? Basically, the one part is the structure and light shield. And then the other part is uh, like a film pressure plate. Is that. Um, no. Uh, well, OK. So one of the one part is the part that faces the film and the other part is the part that faces the outside. And I am putting them, yeah. Uh, I'm putting those two parts back to back, mm-hmm. and um, and there's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, the shape that I w- needed to make was relatively complicated, and one of the one of the concepts of 3D printing is uh, this is the uh, um, Ethan talks about, um, you know, birthing the baby. Uh, you talk about birthing the baby. Um, the idea is that when you print, you uh, have a very flat surface that si- that is the first layer that's put down and you build up from that. Well, if you have, you know, if you think of a 3D object that has features on both sides of that flat space, um, it's, it's right. difficult. Right. It, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, it's difficult to build um, all of all of the detail in both sides, because then what the 3D printer has to do is it has to print um, little uh, supports. So Mm -hmm. think of um, think of a scaffolding. It builds a scaffolding to hold a part up. And generally, um, the the highest quality of the print is going to be the part that is facing up from mm-hmm. the bed. And so I needed both of the sides of it to be facing up. So, um, uh, so you make a sandwich. Yeah, that makes so sense. So I make a sandwich and in that sandwich sits my little Ruby window, um, for the film advance. This is a 120 camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
this is not going to be ready to go for um, I, I'm uh, expecting that it will not be ready to go for the um, uh, for my trip. Uh, but I might have, you know, just uh, I might have it together enough to do a test run. I have uh, a I have a, an idea. I saw you you were showing me that you've created a little uh, spacer that is going to hold the film spindle in the right place and give a little friction yeah. as as this this is essentially just a knob advanced camera and you have uh, it set up so it goes both forward and backward. Right. Uh, and I was sort of thinking to myself, wouldn't it be nice to have the click click click? Well, the click 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 on the Holga is from a ratchet that keeps it going in only one direction. Right. But, you know, you could create a clicker that would go in both directions if it had basically it was just a little spring uh, that could be bent in either direction. So like the way you put a clothespin in a bike wheel to make that cool motorcycle sound, oh, yeah. you uh -huh. could you could create a little widget like that that would go, uh, uh, you know, it could even be on the outside of the camera. It could be on the knob itself. So then you could create your advanced knob with with big enough teeth that it would make a little click, click, click as it pushed past a spring, either forward or backward. Uh -huh. um, in fact, if you put them on both knobs, it might help keep the film tension good as you. Um, oh yeah, yeah. As yeah, you went yeah. forward or backward, I think that would be a nice design detail. And you could, since it could be on the surface of the camera, uh, you can add it later. It doesn't have to be. Uh, it doesn't have to right. change your design. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think that those are uh, are definitely good ideas. Um, so, uh, so anyway, this is uh, this is something that'll um, you know in the next few shows I'll talk about how this is advancing, or uh, you know that I've scrapped it and and redrawn everything. I think uh, it's and, great, and, that's and, okay. I, and I'd I'd like to see a thirty-five millimeter version of the same thing. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's a really appealing camera and there's a lot of great little plastic cameras that people make for pinhole and i feel like it would be a lot of fun to do pretty much the same thing for small lenses um i very you know very simple uh -huh. straightforward ro roll you know knob wind cameras like that would be a lot of fun and it, yeah. once again all we need is the shutter and then putting the shutter on the outside or using the old uh folder camera lenses that have a little shutter would would solve it too a lot of people have been building cameras uh based on a, that conversation ethan and i had with the sunny 16 uh, people and we were talking about um some uh, day into night project ideas uh on their sunny 16 podcast it was super fun and uh, there's a lot of kind of convergence on this idea of using long exposures, um, maybe a swing lens or some other sort of moving device that slowly changes either the point of view of the camera, or the position of the film or something to record uh, over time the, the change from night day to night or night to day. Right. And a lot of people are building prototypes and I'm happy to see a lot of people using drawings and cardboard and uh, I'm noticing so, so somebody on Instagram who's called Dave the Walker 80 is building a really interesting camera along these lines. And there's more examples to be found uh, uh, various different groups or hashtags relating to the homemade camera podcast at the moment. Um, a lot of activity. I think it's uh, 
and and a lot of people are starting to play with building cameras that normally wouldn't build cameras because some when you slow things down enough that you don't need precision mechanical parts all of a sudden right. you know someone with tape and scissors and cardboard can start thinking about making a really effective tool um you don't necessarily need a lot of tools and skills to make uh, really good images if you just slow things down enough <laughs> by using a you know a slow film or or a, a thin slot or whatever it, it takes. Mm -hmm. Oh, have I lost you? Mm -mm. I just okay. stopped talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was measuring uh, I, I had some calipers out. I was measuring the opening um, for uh, for this six by 12 camera. So <laughs> I was I was distracted. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, so um, uh, so we, do you have shout outs, particular shout outs? Well, that was uh, what I was. That getting was it. At. Just uh, to everybody. Yeah, Dave okay. the Walker at 80 in particular. Um, but there's okay. several other people doing. Uh, some interesting, some interesting things along those lines. Okay, and uh, let me make another note. Okay, um, I want to uh, give a shout out to Neil Piper of the Soot and Whitewash podcast. Uh, a while ago, I sent him a twenty-four squared pinhole camera, one of the pinhole cameras I was selling. And he just did a review of it, and um, uh, I appreciate that uh, very much. Um, and also, for those of you who uh, are not listening to his podcast, uh, I think it's very interesting. Um, it, he's He's been a little bit um, uh, less regular with his podcast lately, uh, but if you go back in uh, the last maybe half dozen shows – he talks about building up a body of work based on a railroad bed, um, an old narrow gauge railroad um, that was, uh, I believe it was shut down uh, at the start of World War One. And mm -hmm. right. um, it was scrapped. The uh, rails were scrapped for the war effort and all that type of stuff. So it was a it was a rail uh, way that ran for 20 years or something like that. So it has had once again, it's it's what I'm talking about. Entropy has uh, has now modified that modif that human modified landscape. That's perfectly that's right within what I talk about. Oh, so uh, so so, I'm, so another person who's building in these day and tonight cameras that. Uh, is Alex Purcell grainy blur oh, yeah, on his Instagram? Right. He's got one going uh, that looks yeah, really based interesting. Yeah, clock, right? Well, right. That was my harebrained suggestion, and he, yeah, he's but he's got a, a more ingenious version of it than I was picturing. That's um, a it's okay. a, ro a rotating shutter. Anyway, this is the most fun part of this podcast for me. Yes, yeah. you know when people start combining their different crazy ideas to make something yeah. that actu actually works. Uh, and it happens pretty fast. Uh, yeah. You don't necessarily have to do all the work yourself. That's the good thing, the good side of the social media. Right. I haven't actually seen that one yet, but I have heard it described a couple of times. Um, uh, and uh, one of the things that uh, I was thinking, because I was, when you mentioned that on 
uh, the Sunny 16, I thought about, oh, go out and get a clock and do that. And then and it would be a wipe, you know, it would be essentially that circular wipe of the uh, of of a of a shutter of a of a slit shutter going by. Um, but then I thought um, about the second hand or the um, minute hand or even the hour hand, but um, they all are, they have their little, um, uh, what am I trying to say? It's a shaft. It's a drive shaft coming out of a motor. Mm-hmm. And if you were to put a little, um, sprocket on it not sprocket what am i trying to say a little flywheel uh or a little take-up reel is really what i'm looking for and you can make it whatever diameter you wanted for whatever speed you wanted and you could run it off of whichever hand it is yeah and you could drag using that motor you could drag a um a slit um shutter slit um what am i sure. trying to say a, cur- a curtain yeah uh across a, a plane or uh if if the motor was strong enough you could pull film across a slit or you could um, or you could swing a lens that had a, yeah. a slot a sh- slot shaft of light so all Absolutely. those three things could be yeah three different ways so i was picturing swinging the lens um yeah. and he made he made the rotating disc idea and yeah. you're and then the film drag is, you know, uh, yeah, the third possibility yeah. with a strong enough motor. But all these things, the key is that it slows it. You're working with slow enough uh, time period that it's something that you can figure out pretty easily. Right. And, right. you know, it doesn't need a lot of precision. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, OK, so um, uh, let's see. Uh, I, I mean, we've already talked to Simon, you know, about Simon Forster to, to quit listening to our show because we're going to use new lenses, but, uh, might as well mention Simon Forster of the classic lenses podcast. Uh, that's a, that's a very good show. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I, they talk here, here's, here's, um, my, um, my, uh, my statement of quality of the show, I don't know what my praise of the show is they talk about lenses I am never going to use on camera bodies I'm never going to use. And I still listen to that show every week. <laughs> um, so so, I, you know, uh, but I, I really like the discussions that they get into because a, a lot of it is about the actual image making, not just the 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 gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I, and, and I, uh, love hearing all the updates from the various things that they're doing. So I, I don't know. I really like that podcast, even though I'm probably not their primary audience. Um, so, so that's, that's something. So, well, it's just as well, because if you, if you were, you'd have to get a big, you know, a, a, a higher, a better paying job, I think, you know, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Or or I'd have to set myself up in business like um, uh, like Simon and Johnny are or, you know, work for a company. Um, So now um, one of the other shout outs we have is um, uh, uh, let's uh, shout out Ethan. Ethan is the last time I saw he was at a McDonald's in Ibiza in Spain. Um, and I'm guessing 
that he had way too much um, too much raving uh, happening uh, because I have not seen anything from him in a while. So uh, so I'm thinking that he is just absolutely he's killing it. He's winning um, <laughs> out there in in Spain. So so anyway, that's uh, so we should shout out to him. So if you want to get a hold of let's let's just give Ethan's contact information this time around. Right. Um, is If you want to email Ethan, you can email him. Camerdactyl um, uh, at Gmail. I think it is. Um, you can go to his website, camerdactyl.com. You can email him through our show, Ethan at homemadecamera.com. Uh, you can also email both Nick and I uh, at uh, ours. Mine is Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, at homemadecamera.com. And um, you are Nick at homemadecamera.com. And uh, let's see, Ethan on the Instagrams, you can find him as Cameradactyl. Uh, you can find Nick as... Avi Nick, A-V-Y-N-I-C-K. And I am Graham Homemade Camera, G-R-A-H-A-M, Homemade Camera. And uh, we will be back in a couple weeks with another show. Um, We want to thank Robbie of Soundtrap Studios for uh, allowing us to use the music that he composed for us for the show and that we use throughout it. Yes.